y'all. I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, female friendships are wildly complicated. Machu Picchu deserves a spinoff. And we better believe women or Mark Marin will jack up your car. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television, the glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm very excited about this episode. Are you? Yeah. This has been a long time coming for us, as most episodes are. Doing the glow. Talking about glow. For some reason, I thought we had already talked about it. You know, I feel like we've been talking about it for so many episodes of like, we really need to talk about glow. And I feel like we must have talked about it off air at some point. Well, when you finished season two, you texted me and you're like, we're doing an episode. So like, get caught up. And I was like, okay, great. Oh. Yeah. And then we had a re- we had like a little bit of a debrief, and then we decided to be here on the mics. Well, here we are, making it come to fruition, manifesting it. I know. Everyone is talking about this show, too. Like, I know so many people who are watching it, and so many people who watched it, like, in two days. It's a great show. It's a phenomenal cast. Uh, you know, it's female, written, showrun. There's a lot of you know, great power and energy brought into the stories that are really unique. And I think the complicated dynamic between the two female friendships are so fascinating. It is a lot. And so dark and so light and just, it's interesting the way that women can just really, I don't know, there's something that we can do to each other Mm -hmm. where we can get under each other's skin and there's such a, you can tell there's such there's a bond that is connecting them, which is the reason they can kind of pull these strings, you know, with each other. But um, yeah, it's a fascinating dynamic to set up a show around this tension between these two women. Yeah, it was who such are played, a late. I guess we should tell people yeah. by Allison Brie and Betty Glompen, who play Ruth and Debbie Gilpin. Yeah, Thank Ruth you. and Debbie. Yeah, Ruth and Debbie are like. I feel like in another time in my life, I would not be able to watch this show like in a binge. <laughs> capacity because too much of it is too real yeah um but yeah I think I mean before we get into specifics I think what I really love about the tone of glow is it's hilarious it's so funny yes and they strike a nice balance between you know kind of this like nostalgic 80s tv show situation with dealing with very modern very contemporary issues and also kind of wrapping it up into like this very thoughtful package that really allows the women to shine through. Right. The way that they balance all of the ensemble cast of ladies is like incredible writing. And Alison Brie is a superstar. Yeah, the two women are just, they really carry so much of the emotional weight of the show and they're so different. Mm -hmm. And I kind of love the different energy that they bring. It's almost like we know these women. Yeah. You know, like when we see Alison Brie and she's like a little over anxious and a little bit too into her craft and she's just very, yeah, she just, there's something very familiar about her. Yeah. And even with Betty's character as well, she's like a little bit more reserved you know, she cares a little bit about how people perceive her. 
um, there's like a real honesty to the way she plays that character. Yeah, I think that the way they both take themselves so desperately seriously, but in different ways and how they really want to be seen as very accomplished actresses, but they're doing these like ridiculous episodes and like putting on crazy costumes and makeup and hair. And it's like, but I think that's what grounds the show yeah. is. We're taking it se- like we're t- the, this wild, you know, soap opera of a wrestling show. These women are grounding it because they care about it and they mm-hmm. want to do good work. Mm-hmm. And I think if they didn't care about it, we wouldn't care about it. And I think it's a really good character device to have them be the champions of this kind of crazy world. Mm-hmm. In, in that way, it reminds me a lot of um Orange, Orange is the New Black when it's at its best. That ensemble relationship between all the women in the prison is like it puts them in such a like powerful position when, of course, like they have no power at all in the show. But right. in their own world, they're kind of these like queens of their domain. And Glow hits that same kind of tone for me all the time. For sure. Orange is the New Black went a little off the rails, but. Yes, it did. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, but yeah I think I'm excited to get into it I think the complexity of female friendships is something you and I talked about right away of just like holy moly well that's the big heart hitting theme uh, is their kind of relation their love hate relationship and and it's funny because their two characters are the stars of the wrestling world as well they play like the light and dark Ruth plays like this Russian communist um, villain and then (laughs) Betty plays this all American you know sweetheart is she like a Miss America? What's her name? Yeah, Liberty Bell. Liberty. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> My forever Halloween costume. <laughs> that would be good for you to be. Oh, my God. Is like, that where you're going to be for I, Halloween? I mean, I have to. A part of me feels like I need, like, Betty gave me this, like, gift. I need wow. to be a part of it. There you go. You know? Um, but it's cool because the because of the dynamic and because of their roles on the show, they they also get forced into situations together that they might not be ready for. You know, having to rehearse, having to build trust, and doing these routines. Um, and so that plays an interesting dynamic too. Of like half of it is them working through their issues, and then half of it is like the show pushing them along because they are the you know the stars of the series. And having to deal with Mark Marin, who like is. Mark Marin, such a little tsunami in this show, and his own his own thing entirely. I feel, but he's. <laughs> I love the idea of Mark Marin like hiding on set because he's so overwhelmed by all the female energy, which he's talked about. Where he's just like, there's so many girls, and oh he just God. like hides, and he doesn't know what to do. And there's such a joy to like him being thrown into this mix, and and his feminism being challenged and talked about and thought about and. Um, and created really like it's something it's a world he's never thought of before ever well I'm I'm also thinking about him as like a human because he's talked about it <laughs> um, on his podcast quite a bit and he he is for sure a feminist and has talked about women and gender issues and um, queer and people of color he's he's definitely I would say uh, a great ally that we have but it's it's funny to have him have to walk the walk a little bit by being part of this show yeah and being thrust into this set where truly he hides from them because he's so overwhelmed. And it's like, it's a lot. Wait, like Mark Maron the human or yes, Mark Maron the character? the human. Oh my God, he yeah, yeah, hides yeah, yeah. from them? I think in the beginning he was very overwhelmed. And also Alison Brie, he's talked about, is such a phenomenal actress mm-hmm. that when he's in scenes with her, he's just like, guys, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, yeah. she, he just like watches her work. Oh my God. Which how God. can you not? Because she really... I'm so She's happy. A star. Oh, I'm so happy I'm on the planet at the same time as Alison Brie because she gives me so much joy and 
she has been kind of this like silent weapon for a long time. And to see her step into this role and have a show. I still really love her haircut in this television program. Just the, like mom haircut that she I has. I love it. You love it. I love it. It's like shorter than a lob. Like it's like harsher than a lob. But and it has layers that are unnecessary. I just, there's something so 80s about it that I feel like all my mom's friends must have had this haircut. I just, and it looks great with the shape of her face. Like somehow it all works. Well, she has that like beautiful heart-shaped face, so. Oh, I just love it. Yeah. Side note. Sorry. Side note. Yeah, side note. This is just basically a big love letter to Alison Brie, but um glow was nominated for four emmys for comedy series betty gilpin got like got a nomination for supporting actress there Amazing. was for cinematography casting did which we win any? didn't win no who did not win for casting on this show who won for casting you know that's a great question i didn't even watch the emmys did you no i never watched the emmys i just like to know who wins um, but to see Betty Gilpin, Mark Marin, and Allison Brie walk the red carpet together was so cute because Mark Marin just looked like the stars in the eyes emoji of just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we doing here? Whoa, what is my life? It was so good. I loved it. Um, but yeah. I deeply enjoy him playing the father in this to what's her name? Kate. We need to talk about that whole situation. Okay. This is maybe where it. we jump deeply in. Okay. So <laughs> so his daughter, Justine, mm-hmm. comes to live with him. Sounds right, but I don't know, so maybe not. <laughs> we can fact check ourselves as we go. But um, she comes to live with him, and then it's kind of this, like, up-down battle, of course, of, like, trying to, like, the him Figure trying to make space in life. his life yeah. and her trying to, like, be at school and dating that pizza guy and blah, blah, blah. But then at the end of the season, she goes back to live with her mom. And Mark Marin and Allison Brie have like a little romantic moment at the school dance. Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we feel? What are your thoughts? Because I know this was like a point that you wanted to chat about. You know, I... I feel very conflicted about this relationship. Um, and actually, Alison Brie talked about it at some point that I have a note for, maybe, or maybe I just read it, of um, basically how creatively they kind of bring out the best in each other. Mm-hmm. However, I, I felt a little bit bamboozled, maybe, as an audience member because I saw him as kind of a father figure for her. Yeah. And, you know, the way he was protecting her and, um, you know, he went with her to get the abortion and he, you know, keyed that guy's car for her. And he really, he's shown up to be a great friend. And I hadn't seen any kind of sexual tension or energy and I know that Ruth's character is a bit oblivious to that kind of stuff, it feels. But when he kind of made a pass at her, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. I, I just wasn't excited. Um, I was a little bit disappointed, honestly, I mm-hmm. think, if I'm being very truthful. And, you know, I can see a world in which he does love her and he respects her. And there is something very genuine there and honest. But I just didn't see it. Yeah. And I don't. And so I feel conflicted about this, this romance that I'm not sure I care about. Because to me, they kind of had like a Tina Fey, Alec Baldwin situation where it was like, 
you know, a buddy, you know, comedy, you know, the ten- the work tension and they both respect each other. And I think that's such a lost narrative. And I kind of loved that they did that. And then now that they're trying to sway it into a romance, I'm not as interested. I know. I, I totally hear you when you say you're bamboozled because I feel like Mark Maron's kind of goofy throughout the whole like throughout the whole show. He's a, like a little crazy. He's like kind of this like grumpy old man and like definitely holds that space. So then to like have to see him as this like sincere love interest just felt like whoa 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 what are we doing here yeah and is this sincere and is he actually is he serious and like that that's how I felt and I also felt that because it happened in the same breath as his daughter leaving oh you thought it was like a replacement thing I did I almost felt like that's how he dealt with it And that's how he was like, he was kind of replacing. I think they were giving us hints throughout that episode specifically that something was happening with them. Because he kept having her come over for a dinner and sleep on the couch. He kept wanting to include her. Yeah. But I think you're right because his character is so reserved and so like that grumpy old man. It it was really hard for us to to crack that shell. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and maybe if Allison Bree's character would have been more interested, yeah. I think the fact that she was oblivious meant that we as the audience members were also oblivious. A thousand percent. I just kind of felt like it came out of nowhere and neither one of those characters had 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 been set up in a way that that felt like an organic build. It almost felt like a little shocking. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen to them moving forward? Well... we do have season three coming i do have some notes about what i hope to see for season three okay but we can put that on the back burner all right to get a little bit more into season two sure because the other big piece of the mark maron character with allison brie is that he is totally on her side when she tells him about the agent sexually harassing her this is one of the most interesting scenes i think i've seen two women play out on television in a long time. Yeah, especially Um, now. Yeah, and let me tell you something about this scene because I've got some notes here from Alison Brie via The Hollywood Reporter um, (laughs) where she talks about basically the scene is she is meeting with an executive. She's she's supposed to meet him for dinner. She ends up having to go to his hotel room, which she's like, okay, because there was another guy there, so it was three of them. All of a sudden, the other guy leaves, and she's stuck alone with this executive who – you know, big shocker tries to have sex with her. Um, and she's there to get a better time slot for the show. Like right now they're on at like four in the morning on a Thursday and she's there to like get a, if not prime time slot, a late night slot, which would be like a game changer for the show. So she has this like massive responsibility on her shoulders. Absolutely. So she, she says that episode de- demanded a lot of vulnerability and it was so wonderful to shoot on set where, such a great sensitivity was shown towards me and everyone involved. We shot it with a skeleton crew, and the whole day was dedicated to the sequence. Is It was as if we were shooting a nude scene. It was handled with that kind of sensitivity. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. You can tell. Absolutely. You can tell. That, that episode is so thoughtful in the way that they presented it, and it showed exactly how, like, things can be totally fine, and the next minute, the next second, they can go completely off the rails. Well, and I, I think it's also interesting, and we're seeing this, you know, in the news and in our <laughs> lives and in the media, but these kind of themes just keep reoccurring mm-hmm. and they keep happening. And I think that they must have also felt a heaviness to the responsibility of the Me Too movement mm-hmm. of wanting to get it right. Um, and it was interesting, actually, when Alison Brie first read the script, she was like, is this bad enough? 
because he doesn't actually like assault her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really had to check her subconscious bias and be like, yeah, this would have been awful. And, you know, I'm sure that they had tons of conversations in the writer's room about things that have actually happened to them. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting it's an interesting theme to explore. They handled it with great responsibility. And I think the greatest part of the episode was, you know, Allison is coming to um, Betty's character and she says, you know, this horrible thing happened to me. And, you know, I'm so upset by it. And you can just tell that her intention for telling her was like sympathy and support and, you know, who's going to get it better than your girlfriend? And like, it's not what happens. No, basically, Debbie is like, you should have let him go as far as possible and done what you could to get us a better time slot. And you should basically sacrifice yourself for the show. Yeah. And that, it's just that scene is so gut wrenching in so many ways because, like you said, who's going to get it better than the other woman women in the room? And when they don't, Ooh. it totally complicates the us versus them narrative that people sometimes easily fall into with these kind of conversations. You know, all women are feminists. All women believe women. All women are here for each other, and it's yeah. men who are the problem. And that scene just shows us, like, no, we we all fall victim to being completely unsupportive of our fellow sisters, being completely judgmental of one another and not holding the space necessary when things do happen and not believing women. Yeah. Um, It's funny. It's not funny, but Allison Brie talking about, um, is it bad enough? I really liked the way they handled it and I liked what the incident actually ends up being because that's the question that everybody talks about all the time. Oh, well, it wasn't it wasn't bad. At least this didn't happen to you, or at least that didn't, wasn't the outcome. And I'm sure that this is an experience that women every day, but women in Hollywood, women who work on TV shows have to deal with all the time. And right. it's like the normalcy of it is to me what made it so traumatic. Mm-hmm. How, how small it was and how nuanced it was is what made it so the injury so palpable for me. Well, and I also think that there's something heavily complicated, too, with our narrative and our and our identity around the work and having it be work related. I mean, I was sexually assaulted in college and then, you know, I was sexually harassed in my workplace. And I will say of the two experiences, I was able to <laughs> to better compartmentalize and repress the physical assault that I dealt with in college rather than what happened to me at work, because it was something that I had to deal with every single day. I had to walk into the office And I think because my identity is so tied to my work, it actually was more traumatic in a lot of ways because I had had made me question who I was and the value and the worth I was bringing, you know, to my place of employment. So I also think when we have these questions of like, well, was it that bad? I think there's this whole psychological roadmap of things that we aren't even and haven't yet totally explored about how traumatic stuff can be, even if it's not physical. Yeah. Did you have that situation that Allison Brie went through where you told someone and they downplayed it? I, it was interesting. So when I was raped in college, I ended up telling, a couple of years later, I told two girlfriends about it. We had like a girl's trip in Las Vegas and I ended up getting drunk and telling them. And the girl basically told me like, because I didn't fight him off, that it was my fault. And that because I didn't, you know, make it very clear that it wasn't consensual, that like I didn't, you know, I couldn't say anything and that I shouldn't talk about it and I shouldn't 
call it that. And I feel feel like that conversation put me in the closet for like Mm. three more years of processing it and understanding it. Um, And so unfortunately, it it did happen in that situation. And then, you know, when I was at my office, it happened to all the women. Mm -hmm. And so it became more of a community. And I was able to confide in my friends about it and definitely felt more supported, more seen. Um, But I've definitely been in the situation where women question because we're told to and we are a culture of questioning whether or not that stuff is, um, I guess, legitimate is the word. And it's it's horrifying to 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 sit in front of your girlfriends to to want that comfort to want to feel seen, and then to not get it. It's, it's devastating. And the beautiful thing I think that Glow does is even though Debbie's character is not able to hold that space for her, Mark Maron shows up, and it's such a beautiful scene because we don't. She doesn't even know that he shows up. Like when well, he, she's so afraid to tell him because of Debbie's response. Absolutely, and she's already, as you said, like going in the closet with it because yep. she's like, "Oh, it wasn't bad enough," and I and actually it was my up. fault. Yep, yeah. And she kind of takes on the burden when she shares it with him. And Mark Maron is just like, "Are nope. you kidding me? <laughs> that is not how this goes. This is not how you treat my Ruth." It's like amazing. And when he gets out of that car with that crowbar and smashes that executive's. Window. I mean, the joy, the feminist joy that explodes from that scene is truly like we all may we all have a Mark Marin to smash someone's car for us. I mean, brilliant. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That scene where he just fully implicitly is on her side. I think when men ask, you know, what can I do and what can I help with? You can smash someone's car (laughs) or you can just like believe women the minute that they say they name their experience and like show up for them. Yeah. And that's it's as simple and as complicated as that. It's like. I love that Ruth doesn't even know about that scene either. Too, There's something so heroic about having him just do it. Oh, and yeah. Not, not because he wants to tell her or show her or whatever. He's just like, this is a wrong that needs to be righted and I'm just going to handle it. Well, and if I mean, she would never let him like like she would be horrified that he did that to somebody's car and would take on all that guilt. And he's like, yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm going to spare you that emotion. And I'm just going to go ahead and bash this guy's window. It. It's amazing. Wow. 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 Oh, it's so good. But yeah, I think something that that does complicate Debbie, Debbie, for sure. Um, and a little bit, Ruth, is like the scarcity that women feel and, mm. and the scarcity that all the women, especially in Glow, are feeling of like this TV show that's having a really hard time getting off the ground, having a hard time being funded, but also just the competition that exists to be a part of that industry and to be a woman in the world. And I think that, you know, in this, in so many scenes with Debbie, it's this inherent competitive vibe that she has with everybody. And it's like... Well, I feel like Debbie's character is so interesting because I can almost feel like her backstory of like that she's had to be the only woman in the room, that she's had to kind of, you know, smile and nod for the producers, that she hasn't been given power, that she's been objectified her entire career. So you can feel her really struggle with being on a crew and in a production that's no longer asking that of her. Yeah. Um, And I think even with the narrative of her going through her divorce, I mean, she's really, her character goes through so much in this season And I think we were talking a little bit off air before we started about how beautifully Betty has been able to hold this character in a place of grace so that we don't hate her. Yeah. (laughs) Because she does, she, there's something so relatable about her struggle that would be so easy to just say this, we got to write this woman off. She's driving us nuts. She's, uh, she's the villain. Like, let's not give her any space. Let's not deal with her. 
Yeah, it's allowing, it's almost the big little lies vibe of like allowing women to be complicated. Nobody's all good. Nobody's all bad. We're all just complex human beings. And in order to be a lead on TV as a woman, you don't have to be likable. You don't have to be this like through and through heroine. You can be yourself in all your different facets. And I think that Debbie is a huge permission granting for that. Totally. Yeah. I really love it. Um, What else do you have on your notes? You know, I will say I didn't quite understand the storyline with Bash this season. Oh, my God. I completely wrote that off. I was like, I don't know what's happening here. I didn't remember what had happened with him and his butler. And so when we were really giving a whole season to his journey with it, I couldn't quite figure out what was happening. Yeah. And I really love Bash. Um, But uh, that didn't really connect for me fully. No. You know? No, they didn't. They had a, I feel like they had a hard time mix, getting that into the mix. I did love him and Debbie at the conference together selling the show and like pretending that it was a smash oh success. Oh my gosh, we got to do the Muppets thing. Oh my God. <laughs> Just like, are you watching this? Like everybody should be watching this. Like da, 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 da. It's like nobody's watching it because oh it's at God, four I, in the morning. But That was fabulous. <laughs> um, the other thing we've got to talk about is yeah. uh, Debbie breaking Ruth's ankle. Oh boy. Yeah. She's melted down, folks. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, where do we start? Well, I think we and should... And then blaming her for it. <sighs> she totally gaslights her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think we should state that Ruth had sex with Debbie's husband. Yes. And so that is the basis of their disconnect and their, you know... Rivalry. And, and Debbie ends up getting a divorce from her husband. And so I think in a lot of ways, Debbie is blaming Ruth for everything that's going wrong in her life. And, you know, neither here nor there, we, shit happens. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, that's a normal coping mechanism, I think, to blame somebody else. And then eventually you got to say, okay, like, this is my life and what are we going to do about it? And we're on this show together and have to see each other every day. And that's a choice that you're making. So how are you going to make this possible? Right, and it, and it showed that they want to be on, and there is love there. Yeah. There is a basis of love there. We can feel that. And it felt like this whole season, Debbie was just punishing Ruth. You know, she made her stay late to do that stupid tape, you know, so she'd miss her date, which she knew about. Like, there's been so many manipulative moments where it was like, it was almost like, when is enough going to be enough? Mm-hmm. And then Debbie gets coked up. Do we remember why she was doing coke? I can't remember. She sold all of her stuff out of her house, and she had a huge fight with, her husband, uh, ex-husband. Oh, she found it in Mark Maron's office. Uh-huh. And, and she so she's like losing her mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So then, <laughs> so then basically we get to this climax of the episode where she get, does a little bit too much coke and they're supposed to have this big fight scene and she ends up actually really hurting Ruth. And I think, I think there's... I think as an audience member, we're going, okay, this is the enough is enough. This is the rock bottom of their relationship. This is where they can heal to move forward. You know, they both hit e- have hit each other, you know, emotionally and now physically that Ruth's going to have to sit this season out, which is hu- a huge loss. Um, but it's not. No. And Ruth does is still so blinded by rage that she, I think to your point, won't admit it, won't apologize. Well, Debbie is blinded by rage. Yes, Ruth yes, is I'm like, sorry. Yeah. Doesn't go to the hospital. Oh my God. When that, when she's like not physically there, it's, it's such a shining, such a glowing absence. 
Yeah, and then when she does finally show up and they have a huge fight where Debbie is basically like, well, you slept with my husband and you've been a total nightmare to work with and blah, 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 blah. Like she blames her for it and kind of is like, you deserved it. Mm. And Ruth is like, how many times am I going to have to go through this conversation with you? And how many times are we going to have to beat each other down only to like come back to this place where we have to figure out how to rise again? And the scene in the hospital is one of the scenes I would not have been able to watch like at a different time in my life because it's just so it's so real for those frenemies you have of like why are you in my life yeah and what is and you are in my life so what does that look like and where do we go from here and and the pain the actual pain you can see on both of the women's faces the acting is incredible of just like the defeat of Ruth being like here I am with a broken leg you've ruined my season, you've ruined my chances of working. When is it going to be enough for you that like I've apologized, I've made myself small enough so you can feel big? And when is it going to end? Yeah. Debbie's like, I don't know. I don't <sighs> think you've suffered enough yet. Like it's so bad. <sighs> yeah. And they don't really resolve. It's no. it's very realistic in the sense that they both just kind of go back to work not really addressing any of it and the season ends with them like not having dealt with it right it's very painful well I think in those complicated relationships too it's like half of what you can do if if people are willing to do it together and then half of stuff you've just got to sort out and it seems like Debbie's just in a place where and understandably with her marriage and with her having, you know, a new baby and this job that's crazy. I mean, it doesn't seem like she's given herself the space to process it mm-hmm. and to be able to come to the table. Whereas I think Ruth just wants to find peace mm-hmm. and she seems more like and she doesn't have as much going on in her life. Yeah. Um. So I think she just wants to be at the table. And I think she also just wants to put on a great show. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's bonding them right now is the work. And, you know, I think that their friendship is important, but I almost wonder if that's one of the reasons, too, that Ruth's a little bit more over it. Well, I think that Debbie is resisting forgiveness, mm-hmm. forgiving Ruth, forgiving her husband, but also forgiving herself. Well, she tried to forgive her husband. Uh, she kind of had whole, to. Like they she, did that whole thing where yeah. they pretended to see if they could work it out and <laughs> and they decided they couldn't. But what I mean is like a deeper like, but it's I no interesting longer that- want anything from this I need now to find my own resolution right but it's interesting that she was willing to forgive her partner mm-hmm. and not Ruth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. speaking of like the way we hold women to a different standard and to a different accountability and grant they had more invested with their child and their house and their marriage which is obviously you know something that's you know a deep bond but yeah it's she's willing to open that door for him yeah and have him rebuild and she just for some reason they have this disconnect. I think it's because in a lot of ways I think she feels like Ruth hurt her more. Yeah. I think the betrayal there was so much more real for her. Right. And so when I mean when Ruth tells her about the sexual harassment, she uses it as a moment to be like, "Well, I'm not going to be there for you either." Right. Ugh. Oof. Wow, these girls yeah. What do you think for season three? So for season three, we have the girls going on to Vegas, which is going to be so much fun. So much fun. I can't wait for the, oh, outfits. God, the outfits. And more great haircuts. The glamour. <laughs> oh, the great haircuts. All of it. 
I would love to see the stakes get higher for all these ladies. Mm. I'd like to see them find a little bit of success and have to manage it. I think well, that, we're seeing them now start to get fans and fan letters yeah. and we're starting to see it build. Yeah, I'd like to see them now kind of establish themselves as a TV show and as characters and as, um, you know, like an ensemble cast in this space and have to manage everything that comes with fame and... Um, money and you know all these different things that you get when you're successful so that's what I'd like to see for season three is Mark Marin having to like step up as the creator and yeah. director and having like get him in that new space um I wonder if they're going to keep pulling at the thread with the coke with Debbie mm. I don't know if that's going to be a thing mm. if she's going to become addicted I don't know I hope not because I kind of don't want to see her do that but I want to see some success with these gals. Yeah, interesting. I also think a narrative we haven't truly explored in a deeper way, I know we've touched upon it, is like the world of men's wrestling mm. and kind of comparing, mm-hmm. I think a lot of um, the criticism about the show in the show was that like, oh, it's just these girls and they're wearing these cute outfits, but they're doing real moves. Yeah. I mean, they're stealing them from, you know, Montu Pichu's brother, but yeah. they're doing real moves. They're doing real work. It's physical. And they're not being taken seriously. I would kind of love a little bit more of a parallel of like what's happening in the men's wrestling. Yeah. Like how much money are they making? Right. Like I think there is a cool dynamic there to be had. Totally. Yeah. I want to see them enter the space and have their own notoriety within that industry and then kind of manage everything that goes along with that. That would be very cool. What yeah. do you think is going to happen with Mark Marin and I don't think, Brie? I don't think anything. I think we're going to let that kind of ride the wave because she's dating that idiot back in I think they broke up because she's going away and he's I thought that they were going to do long distance I don't think so you don't think so okay I, I don't think, think it anything. was kind of like sorry I'm going to Las Vegas it's been fun bye um yeah I think that they're going to let that one ride out a little bit I don't think we're gonna have any resolution or anything out there for a while I don't know you think it's gonna dive right back in I don't know why they would have done that to us if they weren't if they didn't have a bigger plan Oh, there's a bigger plan, but I think it's going to take time. All right. Who knows, you know? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Love Any it. other notes? Any final thoughts? Um, No, I'm excited. Do we know when season three is upon us? We do not. I would assume they go into production. When was season two? That came out in like May? Yeah, earlier in this. No, earlier than that, I earlier think. Earlier than that, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. They're probably I'm sure like- they're already rolling. I'm sure they're just going right along with it. Can't wait to see it, though. Yeah, it should be great. Amazing. Well, thanks, Diana. Thanks, Kent. This podcast network we belong to. Um, if you guys have questions, comments, thoughts, want to share any of your opinions, we'd love to hear them. You can email us at beavertalkpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes. You could get a Calico Cat card reading if you do on our Beaver Bites episode. Amazing. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Hey guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The The Bitch Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. 
The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!